Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app right now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to Talking Buffalo Podcast. I'm laughing right off the bat. You're going to find out why in just a quick minute here. But anyway, Talking Buffalo Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. This is, although it doesn't sound like it right now, but this technically is an episode of the Finer Wings Club. More than that in a second. But first, my guest, CBS Sports, great talent, great writer, great analyst, analyst, good buddy of mine that I've known for a long time yeah. through social media circles, mm-hmm. but we had never actually physically met in person. My man, Chris Trapasso. What's going on, Chris? How you doing? I'm doing great. And honestly, Pat, being on the Finer Wings Club, like this episode is legitimately a career highlight for me. <laughs> like I, I adore wings so much. And we've talked on Twitter a lot about wings, getting into the nitty gritty, the details of what makes a good wing, what makes a bad wing. So when you DM'd me and said, you want to be on this episode? I mean, I would have come on and just talked about the bills for an hour. But when you said it's going to be a Finer Wings Club episode, I was all in. Well, it, it is a finer wings club. <laughs> it was a finer wings club. But if this sounds kind of studio-ish and, and phony to you, we're not where we're supposed to be. All right, <laughs> let's just put it that way. So, folks, this is how things played out. Chris met me at Macy's Place Pizzeria. That was the location for this episode of the Finer Wings Club. And I haven't done one in a good month. And we started taper for a couple of minutes. The, the recorder was rolling, so to speak. And so a couple of things I'm going to be saying again, although people are listening, are going to be hearing this for the first time. I wanted to wait. And I'm not just saying this because I have you here. I, I, I legitimately truly mean this. I've been holding off. Everybody knows how I feel about Macy's Place Pizzeria. If you know me, if you follow me on Twitter, if you listen to this podcast, if you read my chicken wing power rankings and, and reviews, you already know how I feel about Macy's Place Pizzeria. To me, the place is elite. To me, the place is on the Mount Rushmore. And I've been holding off for a while, and I wanted to have the right guest, somebody who not only is is a good on-air talent and a good talent with the pen like you are, but also somebody who's never had them before. No, I haven't. You know, Nate Gary and, and Matt and all these other guys and Marcel, you know, rest in peace, Marcel. <laughs> You're Buffalo, <laughs> Buffalo Marcel anyway. He's thriving in Miami. But these guys have all had Macy's. You had it. So I said, this is the perfect time. I've been sitting on Macy's to have somebody, and it was you, because you haven't been there. So we went there, and we got wings. And before we talk about the wings, let me tell you what happened and why we are sitting where we are right now. <laughs> we we ate, and we'll talk about the wings, and we started taping about three to four minutes in. I asked Chris a couple questions. Chris started talking about the wings. As he did that, my left hand hit the Diet Pepsi bottle that really, I, I can't tell you how dumb it was that I had it in front of me to begin with. <laughs> so naturally, the, the pop spills over onto 
my Zoom H6 mobile recorder that I had set up for this episode. And within 30 seconds or so, static alert. And I started getting concerned. I'm like, we knew. Yeah, we knew. It, it, it got bad and it got bad quick and it was getting worse. So we stopped there. We tried messing around and putting the, uh, the XLR cord into other outlets and it just, the inputs and it just, it wasn't going to work. And I don't want to take a chance because you know this, Chris, you've done a lot of podcasts. You listen to podcasts. I don't care who the guest is. I don't care how great the content is. If it sounds like shit, people are not going to stick around. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad we're here at Pat's house in this like kind of quasi recording studio. So we're not getting the real feel of getting people coming in to pick up their Macy's pizza and their wings, which would have been cool, but it's actually a really nice setup here. I was going to say, well, on the bright side, you are quite literally the first guest (laughs) that I've ever had here in my home studio. I mean, I literally just moved in here a couple weeks ago. I got everything set up. So you're the first person that I've ever had in here. But anyway, yeah. So for the sake of having pretty good audio quality, Mm -hmm. we decided on the spot. Let's just take it back to my home studio here set up and uh, we would do the recording there, which I agree with you. I mean, I love people walking in and getting their food and taking a look and kind of wondering what the hell we're doing. You know, the whole the ambient noise and all that stuff. So this sounds like it's just, uh, you know, another typical episode with an in-studio guest live instead of on the computer, which is really cool. Yeah. And again, it's great to meet you, but uh, yeah, it's going to lack that authenticity of being at Macy's. That said, though, all right, so let's talk about these wings first. Mm-hmm. And for everyone listening, I got Chris on. Of course, we're going to talk some football. I mean, I, I can't have you on and not talk football, so we will do that. But we're going to talk wings. This is Fighter Wings Club. So we got Macy's, and we got three different types of wings. We got medium, we got Cajun medium, and we got hot honey mustard, which I said during the first few minutes before the, the recording cut out on us, that was more of an homage to my man Marcel, Louis Jacques, who, of course, just recently... Took the job at the Dolphins and is covering them for ESPN.com. But those are his wings. That's his favorite wing. So I, I got those, like I said, to kind of make tribute to him. I want to turn this to you now because, yep. again, I've talked about these wings, man. Everybody knows that these are on my Mount Rushmore. They're elite. I love them. I wanted to get your thoughts on, well, let's go through all three of them. What did you think? Yeah, okay. So this is right in my wheelhouse. It's not just football. Uh, I... I I'm a huge, I, I like to call myself a wing connoisseur, and, and I, I like to dive deep into in anything I'm doing. The mediums for me could have had a little bit more sauce on them. We talked about it off air. I'm kind of like, on a scale of one to 10, I want there to be like six or seven in terms of how much sauce. I think some places douse with too much sauce, and it's it's too messy. I, they're falling out of my hands. And then I think most places when wings are not good, when they're just medium buffalo wings, there's like not nearly as much sauce. Macy's was like probably a four or a five in terms of the sauciness, but the sauce was very flavorful. A lot of times wing places, uh, the sauce doesn't really stick to the wing or it's it's watery or it's really acidic. It was a good blend of like the Franks and the butter in there. It, it was like a thicker, more flavorful, rich full-bodied, so to speak. Sure. Uh, so the mediums, I thought, were fantastic. To the Cajuns, they were medium Cajun, but they almost tasted like hot Cajun. Mm-hmm. And you and I are on the same wavelength with this that we don't really like when a wing is so hot that it takes away from like the flavor and sure. the taste of it. Yep. Those, ca- those Cajun mediums were right on the cliff of that, and they were just short of being too hot. And what I also liked, if you're going to call them Cajun, 
they got to taste like Cajun. Yeah. I've had a few wings. Like I'm not going to call out any other places, but there, I've had Cajun wings at other places that they were just hot. Like I didn't taste any of that Cajun seasoning that you can get at Tops or at Wegmans. They were on like the Cajun flavor was there, and then the honey hot mustard. Uh, I'm kind of like you. I, I would normally not get like honey mustard with like dipping sauce with chicken fingers at McDonald's or whatever. Um, but I really like those. They weren't crazy hot and. It was a good balance. They weren't too mustardy, and they weren't so sweet. Sometimes the honey mustard wings uh, can be so sweet and almost tastes overbearing. Like, overbearing, where it almost tastes like a dessert, and you're like, "That's not what I'm supposed to be having." Those were really good, and I could totally understand uh, why Marcel liked those like more than any other wings that he had when he was here. Yeah, and, I, and I've said this before too. It's it, it's weird with those wings, and why I like them because I don't like honey, and I don't like mustard. I hate mustard. There's not mustard. If you go in my fridge right now, you're not. Guess what? You're not gonna find. You're not gonna find any mustard. I'm telling you, I'm not a mustard guy. Like I have a hot dog, no mustard on it. You know, right. hamburgers, no mustard. But these wings, I like them a lot. I like the the hot honey mustard flavor. They're really good. And I agree with you 100. percent By the way, on the Cajun, if you we would have gotten hot Cajun, too much. That would have been too hot. Yeah. Cajun medium were perfect for me. That I like. I like to be. I like to be on the. You said it perfectly on the brink. I like something to be on the brink of being too hot, but not too hot. Because to me, I still feel uh, the flavor more in my mouth. You know, I enjoy it a lot more. Whereas it's just, just too hot. And I know a lot of people like to do this. That's not enjoying it. Chris, that's surviving. I don't want to survive my, my meal when I'm eating wings. Yeah. I, I want to enjoy them. One other thing, too, speaking of being on the brink, and I could probably talk for three hours about wings. Uh, the Macy's wings were right on the brink of being like they were crispy, but not like overdone. And a lot of wings, if, obviously, right. if you leave them in too long, they get dried out. And even if it's a big wing that has a lot of meat on it and has great sauce, once you bite in, if they're overcooked, they might taste crispy on the outside, but then the actual chicken meat is dried out. The Macy's like has it down, I think, probably to a science of how yeah. long they need to be cooked before they're overcooked. And you don't ever want, I don't think anyone wants undercooked wings really at any point. So that was something else that's obviously the crisp is really important that they were crispy, but still had that juiciness once you bit in. Yeah. And I'll say one other two regarding blue cheese, which is funny. <laughs> I thought I was the only person who likes to have wings all the time. That doesn't like blue cheese. Um, I also don't like ranch. So for everyone out there, ranch, I'm not a ranch guy. I'm not a blue cheese guy. You and I share the same view. To me, the wing comes with sauce. That's all I need. Yeah, I don't need to cool it off with, with with any blue cheese or anything like that. Like once in a while, if I'm at a place where, like for example, Barbell, which is my favorite place, like they say that they make their own blue cheese, and I believe them. Okay, you got to dip it in. You got to try it once. But I, I mean, I'm with you, and it's what that's like the weird. That's like the least Western New York thing about me is that I, I don't need. Me too. I don't need blue cheese. And like, there's always, do you like ranch or blue cheese? I hear, you know, I go on radio spots in other cities and they ask me that question and I kind of give this answer, what you just said. Like, I don't really need blue cheese. Like, it, I think if you have to douse your drumstick in a ton of blue cheese, then it's probably not that good of a wing. You're trying to cover up either the flavor of the sauce 
or that it's overcooked or that it's undercooked. So we had a bunch of blue cheese there. Like they, the owners there at Macy's were super nice to give us all this complimentary food, but we didn't use any of the blue cheese. So we see eye to eye. Right. And so I, I can't speak to if the blue cheese is any good. I, I suppose people who have been there can have an informed opinion on that. I will say this is it's not manufactured blue cheese. It's whatever. I don't, again, I have no idea if it's any good, but they have their own blue cheese. It's not like one of those prepackaged can. Ken's types of uh, types of blue cheese. You know, I, one thing I, I didn't ask you, because I wasn't, frankly, I was so busy stuffing my own face that I didn't even pay attention. Do you prefer drums or flats? No, I don't. I, I like wings so much, and that's, it's either the blue cheese or ranch or flats or drums, and I, like, my wife is, pr- like, she's from Clarence originally, and she, like, loves flats. Like, she does not like drums, and I, I really don't care. I, yeah. I, I just really like wings. It doesn't, doesn't bother me if if I get all drum if if I order ten wings and there's eight drums and two flats I don't care some people get like legitimately mad about that not me yeah I um I am a, I'm a flats guy okay. but I well put it this way I used to order wings and I would always ask for all flats mm. and I'd be willing to pay an upcharge for them but I'm not like that anymore now I enjoy drums not as much as flats I'm still a flats guy which is why when I have Nate on the show and we do wings. That's he's the perfect compliment because Nate loves drums and <laughs> hates flats, whereas I'll sit there and eat all the flats. Marcel is kind of uh, the same way. I will say one thing too, because like I said, when it comes to to Macy's, it was kind of a this whole thing's been kind of a cluster, which is obviously this is entirely my fault. I'm the idiot who spilled soda on our my Zoom H6 mobile recorder. Also, when we met up tonight and we're taping this late too. Well, now it's late Tuesday. Wasn't late when we first got together, but now it is. Um, I had the I told them to put the wings out earlier than I should have. So even like when you showed up, they were sitting there for a good 10, 15 minutes. That makes so, a difference. Yeah. Obviously. So they weren't piping hot, like coming right out of uh you know, served right to us. They sat around and that definitely makes a difference. And I think not only with the actual like temperature of the wings, but it can do something to the sauce too. Like mm-hmm. I think that I said that those Macy's wings were a little, especially like the medium buffalo, where like they could have had more sauce. I feel like over time the sauce kind of like seeps in. Yeah. So like when I go to Barbell, I'm obviously eating them right when they come out, and it's they're the perfect amount of sauce. Everything's like great. When I've brought them home. Like it's a 20, 30 minute drive. It's like, oh, they're still really good. I like the flavor, but the sauce kind of like sinks into the skin, I guess. So if if you're telling me that and they were sitting out for 10 or 15 minutes, maybe I would, you know, probably view especially that medium buffalo a little bit better. Yeah, well, I think you're also I think you're mostly right though. They they did, and I've had Macy's many, many times, because again, it's it's in my Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Um they did lack a little bit of sauce on the medium side. The Cajun medium, plenty of sauce. Yeah, honey yep. mustard, plenty of sauce. The traditional regular medium, they did lack a, a little bit of sauce. Let me tell you two reasons why I, I love Macy's as, as much as I do. Number one, and we talked about this a little bit off air, and I think this is something that a lot of people listening who enjoy wings, which in Western New York is pretty much everybody, <laughs> I think they could appreciate this. What makes Macy's so special for me is their consistency and there's only a handful of places i think anyway in my opinion in western new york look chris you know this man you could go to 50 to 60 different places in western new york and and let's just say you like cajun medium or even just regular medium let's just say regular medium my bad regular medium wings okay 
you're going to enjoy them because wings in what the average wing in Western New York is good. It's better like than you, most places. Right. In the the country, average yeah. wing in Western New York is better than elite wings in Florida, for an example, where I spent five years. But what separates places from being, in my opinion, elite or all pro level wings, whatever you want to call them, compared to just good wings, decent places, is consistency. Um, I've been to many places and like, yeah, I don't really, doesn't serve a purpose to like call people out right now, yeah. call places out. But a lot of places I go to, I'll go there on a Friday and I'll get some medium wings and then maybe I will get some hot barbecue or something like that. And they're great. And I'm like, oh my God, guys, you got to try this place. They're really, they're so good. And then you go back again the following week or the next time, whenever you go and they don't taste the same. They're not as good. They're really inconsistent. The wings might taste dried out. Or you got big fat wings one time, and then the next time you go in, they're, no sense. and they're little tiny wings. You're like, this is all you get? Well, yeah, that, that just to kind of jump in there, I think that if if that's a big part for you, the consistency, that's part of why Barbell is. Like, yeah. Barbell, they have a down to the second of how long they need to be fried, how long, or they, they, they paint on their sauce. Like, they have it down to a science. And every single time I've been to Barbell, Saturday afternoon, Tuesday after a doctor's appointment, I stop in there. Doesn't matter. They are the exact same, super good every time. Yep, absolutely. And again, that is why for me, like my Mount Rushmore of wings, and I've done nearly 80 places now, I have four <laughs> I spots. I envy you. I, envy I have you. four spots. I have 911 Tavern. They're one. I have Macy's Place Pizzeria. They're two. I got Elmo's. They're three. I got Bar Builder four. They don't, they're not even really one through four. They're interchangeable. Mm -hmm. They're the Mount Rushmore. And I don't care what order. You put them in, and a large, big reason is because those four places are just uh, the most consistent to me. So to your point, and this is the second reason why I love Macy's as much as I do, look, I love Barbell too. I think 99 out of 100 people love Barbell. Barbell to me is like, all right, so for a long time, it was Anchor Bar and Duff's. Those were like the touristy places. Mm -hmm. Those were the places where when somebody comes into town, they go there. I think know. it's still kind of the case, it's especially for Duff. Sort of. For Duff's, I, I think. I think Barbell's reached that level now yeah. of of not just because, and it's deserved for the record, mm -hmm. but they've reached that level of notoriety that a lot of people now, we're like, hey, where do you go when you come into town? People say Barbell. Barbell gets those out-of-towners. They get those touristy people now. So they're very well-known. Elmo's had UB hype them up. Khalil Mack kind of changed their their trajectory almost overnight. So they're very popular. Macy's is one of those ground zero type places yep. that, you know, it, it's a hidden gem or it was a hidden gem, a, a, a really good kept secret that originally only people who live in that neighborhood even knew about. Mm -hmm. Just two years ago, man, ain't nobody heard of Macy's Place Pizzeria for the most part, unless you lived around tiny. Union and Genesee. It's a tiny little place. Look, we're in a... My home studio right now, you can only, you can't see it. You're just listening to us talk. This ain't much smaller than Macy's Place <laughs> Pizzeria. Right. The dining area, well, I don't even say dining room, the, the pickup area. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's a tiny underdog. And I think of all the things I've done with wings, and again, this is why I wanted to wait for the right time, the right person to have Macy's Place Pizzeria on the Fighter Wings Club. My biggest claim to fame in all my little wing adventures and bullshit that I've done with this stuff I was the first person in the media, like the local media, to, to really hype it up. Now, I did not discover it. I can't take credit for that. My cousin told me I got to go there. Mm. So just, I, and I never even heard of the place. 
I'm like, all right, I'll try it, whatever. Because I was at that time living in Florida, coming back, and I was just trying wings wherever I could try them because I wanted to keep adding to my list. I was like, holy shit, oh my God. I started talking about those. Then Trainwreck Sports, not long after that with Nate. Nate Gary did a, mm-hmm. he worked with them. They did a review and Nate talked him up on the air and then they kind of took off. Then Marcel, who was, you know, got a big profile, ESPN.com. Yeah. He went there, I believe, with Nate. He loved him. Next thing you know, this place took off. So it's fun to see like the the little underdog Absolutely. do well. So that, that's, that's like a Buffalo story. That's, that's yeah. Buffalo to a T. So, but what's, is kind of difficult, and what's I think what you're doing for people that love wings, and I think it's like I don't really know anyone that doesn't like wings, so I think there's a, a big audience for this. Is that what you're doing with this podcast, and why I'm so honored to be on it is that you're uncovering those hidden gems. Uh, and now, like Macy's is huge on Instagram and some of the crazy pizzas they do, it's almost hard for these places to be kept a secret it for is. so long because you have your Twitter account, you have this podcast. I can tweet things out. Nate can talk about it on GR, on, on on Sports Talk Saturday, and then all of a sudden everyone knows about it, which in a way it's like not that they're selling out or that it's bad, but it's almost like you're saying these small mom-and-pop uh, local joints, the fact that in a very short amount of time they can get a lot of notoriety in a good way, I think it's awesome. My my favorite thing about Wings and why I like talking about them, why I, why I like trying to do reviews the interaction is great. And the reason why is because, and again, this is something you and I talked about off here while we were eating earlier tonight. Everybody has a takeout wings. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has places they prefer. Everybody's like, you got to try this place or this place is overrated or this place is underrated. If you talk Sabres, like we talked about, you know, everybody knows the Sabres suck, man. What, <laughs> what are you really going to talk about? You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and now with the bills, they're good. They're mm-hmm. good. There's a lot of podcasts that talk about the bills, including this one, which, that's part of the reason why I got you on, of course. But everybody has their own unique opinion on chicken wings. There's a handful of places, Barbell, which is your favorite. That's one of those, I think, universally at this point. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's right up there. Um, but yeah, a place like Macy's, I, I just I love the fact that they're a small place. And I get I I all the time, and I've asked the owner this. I've developed a, a relationship with Nick, the owner over the last couple of years. It's like, why, why don't you move into a bigger place? Cause I'm thinking these wings are so good. They're popular. And the you pizza is really place. popular too. They have yeah. a place like Imperial pizza yep. or Bella pizza. Some of these places that have, you know, you can come in and pick up your pizza and leave, or you can sit down at a table and eat it. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing about Macy's that I don't like is if we want to go there, well, you and I were there because again, it was like two of us and we were taping a show, but let's just say if, if Matt Perino and, and Marcel and Nate, let's say the five or six of us went out together. We said, man, let's go. Macy's has like five or six different great places or not places, but uh, different types of wings. Let's go get 50 wings and sit down and and, and hang out. Yeah, You can't do that there. And I've asked the owner. I've said, why don't you? He, he likes it the way it is. He likes it the way it is. He might end up in Florida before he ends up, you know, making the next Imperial pizza. That's mm-hmm. just the way they like it. And a lot, most places, I'm telling you, man, when you take food and you take it out and you put it in your car and you get home, it loses that taste. It might have a tiny bit, but for the most part, man, Macy's Place Pizzeria, those wings, I don't know what they do, but they're still really good, even when you take them home and eat them. Yeah, there was not really a clear-cut negative to those wings. I said mm-hmm. besides 
the sauciness, but that could have been because they were sitting for like 10 minutes. You know, normally you got to eat wings right away. And there could be something too, just to that last part uh, in that it's a relatively small operation there and he probably doesn't want to sacrifice uh, the quality of the pizza because I know that all their specialty pizzas are super popular. Or hey, if we're going to branch out, we're going to be serving out whatever, 2,000 wings a night instead of 500 are we speeding up our process? Are some of our younger workers not uh, you know, paying attention? It's good to either have it down to a science or whatever works for you. And definitely, I mean, I was going to give you, I was going to shoot it straight with you regardless of, of what I thought. I'm glad that we went to Macy's tonight because I hadn't been there. Uh, and they were very, they're close to my Mount Rushmore, my, which I need to say, like I, I figured coming onto this Lay podcast. On what say, do you got? Okay, Barbell's my number one, and and to me, like you don't really have like one, two, three, four. Barbell to me, the medium, and then the Cajun honey butter barbecue, which I, I'm like you. Wings got to be buffalo wings. You got to like that's the measuring stick. You Always. start there, and every place like you can have these super sweet ones, and of course those are going to be good. But if your mediums are not good, then then you're not that good of a wing place. Barbell, and then after that, the the final three are not really in any order. I love Gabriel's Gate Wings. They're very consistent. They're big. They're always big, and I've never seen wings that big before. Uh, they're a little on the spicy side. I think they just do it very well. I like the ambiance in there too. It's a great place. Nine uh, Eleven that I had last year. Nate Geary put me onto those. Uh, there's like a little special ingredient in there. Maybe it's Parmesan. Maybe it's not. Very very good wings. Um, and then from reading your website, Beltline Brewery. I got like the the seven one six wings, which are just their regular medium. I know why you like them so much. You want me to tell you why you like them so much? Tell me. I talked to the owner of this place about it. So you like barbell? No, you know, those wings are your favorite. Yeah. The recipe for seven one six is very similar, not the same, but it's very similar to barbell. Well, you cracked the case because I I remember vividly saying it to my wife this summer that I was like, these are really close to barbell, and she like looked up as she was eating was like really because i normally am like nothing's touching barbell and they were really really good and you said there's like a all dress it's like they're everything sauce that's really good um but i just got the 716 at beltline brewery in like downtown buffalo for a brewery which is not really supposed to have great wings beltline were really really good and macy's is close they're, they're probably i gotta rack my brain fully um they would be probably in my top five or top six like i would Stop there on the way back from a Bills game and get those wings again. Yeah, absolutely, man. And well, we we just talked about this a couple of minutes ago. Wings are so subjective, and everybody has different opinions. I am a well, nine eleven Tavern is my top place for traditional regular wings. Gotcha. Which, by the way, you're shit out of luck if you're not getting traditional wings there because quite literally, their menu is medium and hot. That's awesome. That's it. That's you great. Getting Cajun. You ain't getting a honey barbecue. You ain't getting barbecue. Their shit is just medium, hot, and that's a wrap. So they're my favorite traditional wing. Macy's Place, and again, we, not counting the medium, we had two of their flavors. They have a good six, seven, at least that I personally know of, deep. They might be my favorite specialty in terms of variety. Like if I want to mix it up, I want to get, you know, I eat chicken wings too much, so... But I don't like to have the same ones every time. Sure. Now, I agree with you 100%. When I do a, a review or power rank stuff, you got to have medium on there. I factor in medium primarily. Then I also factor in stuff like secondary wings, maybe price, environment. You know, that stuff yeah. means less. Mm -hmm. But 
Like for me, Macy's is the best when it comes to having a great variety of different flavors that are really, really good. Barbell is right there too. Like I said, in Elmo's, they have the bad. I don't, I don't know how you with an Elmo's, but for me, Elmo's, the hot Cajun double dip to me is the best specialty wing. I've yeah, I told made. you, I went to a Buffalo sports writers meetup that Tim Graham, when he was with the Buffalo News, hosted like literally 10 or 12 years ago. And it was, I was in my early 20s. It was like my first thing of meeting all these guys from the Buffalo News. And I remember people saying like, oh, those, this was before Khalil Max had this. It was like, he was, I think, like a freshman or sophomore at UB at the time. And they're like, oh, like you got to try the wings. And I think I was just like people watching and like, oh, there's Vic Carucci, there's Mark Gone. And I like don't remember. So I got to get back there because I know like you and a lot of other people I respect just for their takes in general, but definitely for their wings or like Elmo's is an elite like top three or four place in all of Western New York. So that's a place I can't really give any grade on it because I haven't been there. Everyone, by the way, if you haven't, we've been spending some time talking about Macy's. You haven't been there yet. You got to try them. Again, you're not going to sit down. Don't bring the family there for a sit down. That ain't going to happen. Uh, order, have it delivered, take out, sit in your car and eat it if you have <laughs> yes. to do, do what you got to do. But it's uh, Macy's Place Pizzeria.com. What were we going to say? One last thing I want to say on this. And uh, like, we can get to the bills whenever, but I I, I promised you that I was just because is that my phone going? Um, that I. This is such a casual yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Let that, that phone that, ring. That man. I, it's shit. my sister. I got to call her back. Um, <laughs> She's actually moving back to Buffalo, which is awesome. Nice. Um, that wings to me are like, it's almost when you do one of your reviews and you're like, okay, I'm going to grade a little bit, but it's not weighted as heavily. The ambiance wings are a type of food that are so, I mean, obviously they are uh, one in with Buffalo, like the history of the city, but I almost don't hate when it's like a grungy tiny place like i i actually didn't go into 9-11 like my sister grabbed him and we ate him in the car like in that parking lot that's right across the street and i didn't feel any Not less i i well like they weren't the same because i wasn't eating them right in there but isn't 9-11 like a smaller like sure. local shadow yeah it's a tavern like in South Buffalo. yeah <laughs> that's what you just brought up it those like some of the best wings that i've had have been in bars or if you want to call them restaurants that have the worst bathrooms on earth. <laughs> and I feel like when you eat a nice steak, like if this was a steak podcast or anything like Italian, the ambiance, like how nice the restaurant is really matters. I feel like it's it's so perfectly Buffalo to be like, oh, you know what? I had to eat those in my car or Pat and I were trying to record a podcast and there was people right on top of us getting their takeout. Like I care about like Gabriel's Gates like ambiance is cool. That's like a, but it's it's small. It's quaint. I almost like that to a certain degree. And I'm not gonna ever knock a place if it has the worst bathroom ever, but it has awesome wings. <laughs> you know, I, I was gonna take a break, but then you brought up something. I was gonna move on from wings. You're right. I think environment is part of the whole experience of, of having wings. You could have 911, Elmo's, Barbell, Macy's. I don't care what it is. I don't want to. Take those wings. And don't get me wrong. I will physically enjoy the shit out of them, meaning I'm in my car in the parking lot. But sitting at a bar and listening to something on the jukebox and going to the shithole bathroom and whatever the hell the bartender is doing, your people watching, stuff like that. It just feels the homey. It feels it's an like experience. Buffalo. It's an experience. Yeah. You're right. It feels like Buffalo. And I said to you when we were at Macy's, like the complimenting 
factor of having like a blue light with medium wings, like those two flavors were meant for each sure. other. And when you were in 911, you feel Buffalo when you like, I almost, even if I know I probably shouldn't have a beer or like most of the time when I have wings, I got to have at least a beer with it because it, it just, they, they go together. It's like wine and cheese. It's like beer or a, usually a blue light. Like I, I'll drink craft beers every once in a while, but with wings, it's got to be either a blue heavy or a blue light. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I'll be right back folks. More with Chris coming up. Buffalo Bills, top CBS sports too, right after the break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, I'm back with Chris Trapasso. You know, so I did have you on the podcast once. That was a couple of years ago. I, mm-hmm. I looked it up. Episode 115, which was all the way back in April of 2019. And you know what's funny? I actually listened to a little bit of that this morning in preparation for recording this tonight. And we had, I don't want to say audio problems, but it was on a phone. Yeah, and I remember that. Like the connection wasn't that good and the sound was kind of, yeah. 
which is funny because we were in Macy's and we were headed towards that. So again, <laughs> the silver lining is at least we're sitting down here in a in a home studio and, and the sound is good today. Uh, now you grew up in Medina, mm-hmm. so you're not actually from Buffalo. You're from like the outside. I still consider to me Buffalo, I like this whole area to me is Buffalo. Now you grew up yeah. in Medina. I know you got roots in Tonawanda, North Tonawanda yep. as well, right? Talk about that for a few. Yeah, so quickly, my story is I grew up in Medina. I still live in Medina, but my dad and mom were friends in high school at NT. Uh, I have cousins that are from NT. So like growing up, we were always in North Tonawanda because my parents were from there. My dad got the school psychologist job in Medina in like 1988. I was four months old. Um, So yeah, we were always like, even though I think when I was about 10, our phone number went from 716 to 585. They just like changed the cut line for some reason. We're like, what the hell? Um, I, I'm definitely 99.999% identify with the Buffalo side of sure. Western Like nothing against Rochester, but um, so that's like, I, I'm on the outskirts. And whenever I get asked to do something like this, like, oh, you're way out in Medina. Uh, it's just because my dad got the job there. I love Medina. That's right in the middle of the two cities, but I definitely gravitate toward Buffalo as much as possible. And you went to college at Valparaiso, right? Mm-hmm. Valpo, man. Yeah. How did I listened back to the first episode and you talked about that a little bit, but I never asked you like, how did that happen? Like, were there other schools that you were interested in? Were there, did it come down to a couple choices? Like there was a couple schools that you wanted to go to that you didn't get into. Like, how did that play out for you? Yeah. There were three possible schools when it came down to it. And what's funny is, being a huge college football fan growing up, and I still am, watched tons of college football with my dad as a kid. We always watch these big schools, and I was like, I want to go to Michigan or Ohio. Or actually, not Ohio State because I'm not an Ohio State fan. <laughs> but like any of those big schools, and then my parents were kind of like, you probably want to, you know, a smaller school uh, because you're in this small town with this small high school. And I almost went, so I, I kind of stayed local. Ultimately, I almost played golf at either Madai or St. John Fisher. But St. John Fisher, I would have had to keep like a super high GPA to like keep because it's D3 and they can't really give a scholarship, but it's right. kind of academic. So they're like, uh, and then my dad went to Velpo. How he went there in 1968, I don't even really know. So he kind of like we got some extra money because we were, uh, you know, like a alum- or like because my dad was an alumni and my sister and I, I have a twin sister. Uh, we both went to Velpo. It was an experience being eight hours away and being in like Bears country and Packers country. Um, But in a way, it it was kind of that phrase like coming to life of like absence makes the heart grow fonder or distance makes the heart grow fonder that like I felt even closer to Buffalo where like, man, no one here, especially like Bills related, gives a shit about the Bills or me wearing a Bills shirt or my sister and I going to a like a Buffalo Wild Wings and asking for the Trent Edwards bills to be put on. They're like, what the hell? I think in a weird way that kind of like brought me closer to Buffalo and being even more uh, appreciative of how much I loved growing up in this area. And right after college, I moved back and I still live in Medina today. I tell people this all the time because I just went through the same thing, much older, obviously, than you. But I just spent five years in Florida and at that time, back in 2016, I I never fell out of love with Buffalo, so to speak, but I did kind of get sick of it. I got sick of being cold in the winter, and I wanted to go do something new. Sure. So I went to Florida, 
part for several reasons, and I've already talked about those. I don't need to get into that. But I during that absence, like you said, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I definitely found myself missing Buffalo, and it, and I realized that I took a lot of stuff. I don't even want to just say Buffalo again. I consider to me, me too. I should say upstate New York, Western New York, whatever. It's just this whole area. I I realize that I take a lot of things for granted, like wings. You know, like. Being able to go to pretty much anywhere and get a decent meal in Buffalo. Just the, the neighbors. There's just so many good things about Buffalo. It's kind of, it's easy to take it for granted. Especially when you spent your whole life here. Then you leave and you're like, well, things aren't like that where I'm at. Yeah, I've said to my friends a lot that of all like the cities, and, and I'm sure there's there's smaller cities in the Midwest or West that I don't know. But of all like the major cities, and I'm going to group Buffalo into that. I would take Buffalo's food over any of those other cities, like not in terms of how many restaurants we have or whatever, but what those cities are famous for food wise. Like Philly has the cheesesteak. I don't really know what else they have. Like for Buffalo to have truly their own style of pizza, like really doughy, very cheesy, the cup and char pepperoni, wings, uh, pizza logs are from Niagara Falls, Loganberry, sponge candy, roast beef. Like I... I don't know of any other city that has like, oh, we have five specific foods that are super good that are either from here or originated here or everyone loves here. I would take Buffalo's food over any other, let's say, of the NFL cities, truly. Yeah, I agree. 1,001%. Talk about some of the stuff you're doing at CBS Sports. I'm going to tell you one thing Chris is doing. You got me doing something I didn't think I was ever going to do. You got my ass... Look at it, TikTok. <laughs> yeah, so TikTok, um, I just kind of stumbled upon it like everyone else has over the past, whether it be two weeks or two years. And I want to say the 2019 draft class, I was like, oh, after tinkering around with it, seeing how easy it is to make videos that are easy to edit, add sound, put a green screen behind you. I did like p- player profiles with like strengths and weaknesses uh of like aj epinesa last year uh whatever and they did pretty well and then i kind of didn't go on it for a while and and mostly viewed it like most people thought you know there's a lot of kids dancing it's kind of for kids like 15 and and younger than that but then i really realized that it was kind of the next new social network and that while all that stupid stuff is still on there Actually, there's a lot of funny videos on there. There is too. a ton of funny videos. Yeah, uh, that there's a real avenue to put out football analysis, and I've seen my following grow quite a bit. It's fun to do, and there the videos are easy to make. Like all the features that TikTok has, if you're making any kind of video, like even me doing film with a voiceover, with music underneath it, with an effect at the beginning, cutting something off at the end, super easy. So that's mostly what I'm doing. CBS Sports, kind of the same deal. NFL draft, and then during the season starting last year, they had me also uh, analyze young NFL players. And I kind of pitched that to my editors like, hey, I've evaluated four draft classes now. Why don't I like talk about some of these young players that I like remember scouting uh, Cortland Sutton at SMU and like how he's gotten better or worse or, you know, Gregory Rousseau that he's I think he's a project more than being an instant impact guy. So during the season, it's mostly NFL December, January, really gear up and then just go full NFL draft uh, until really May or June. One of my favorite things about following you through the years is seeing your 
progression into other things. And what I mean more specifically is I first knew you as, as a writer, you mm -hmm. know, and that's pretty much all I knew you from. Buffalo Sports Daily. Was writing. Buffalo yeah. Sports Daily, among other things. You were a writer, and you still are. So I don't want to say yeah. you're not. But now, you know, in recent years, you've got into, you've into audio stuff, making videos, like you're talking about these breakdowns. You've been on One Bills Live. You're, you do podcasts. You do radio hits, stuff you like that. To. I mean, you got you to be well-rounded in today's market. There's no question about that. Talk a little bit about, like, that progression because, I mean, to your point, you can't just be a writer in, in today's sports media world. You just can't yeah, do that. My thought process behind it was that I was super grateful that I got the CBS sports job, but like the first couple years there, and I've absolutely loved working for them. I was like, man, I'm writing for CBSSports.com, like one of the big four or five networks out absolutely. there. Absolutely. That I was like, I don't want to just be a faceless writer like forever. So I'm going to just put myself out there on Instagram, make some things that aren't that good to try them out, make, and then maybe something sticks. And I'm, I'm doing TikToks. I'm on CBS Sports HQ occasionally tried two different podcasts, try to go on as many podcasts. And now I try to do as many video spots as possible because I know that's kind of the next step. I've always just never been really complacent wherever I'm at. Not, not that I want to leave CBS. I, 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 I love it there, but I think it's important, especially in this day and age. And that's kind of why I took the leap to TikTok relatively early that I felt kind of stupid on there at first, but I'm like, I, this might be the next thing. And if it's not, I signed up, I did six videos, the thing never took off, who cares? I, I really think, and you're a prime example too. You were a writer, you had Buffalo Sports Daily, you do a podcast, you're talking about wings, to do different things. Yeah, it's We're kind of in a, I think, not just give people content that they want, but make yourself a brand. Make Pat Moran be, hey, he's the, the Bills and the Sabres guy, but he also talks about Florida stuff. He talks about wings. Like that's kind of how I feel like everyone that's creating content should be branching out and showing themselves as people on every single platform that they can do. I think what you're doing with TikTok, especially when it comes to coverage, and you're not limited to just doing Buffalo stuff. So let's just put that out there mm -hmm. right now. But from a Buffalo perspective only, doing the TikTok stuff is unique. And like with this podcast, and thank you, by the way, but like, I'm not, look, if I'm going to sit on here and talk 60 minutes of Buffalo Bills, you ain't going to listen to this. Why would you? I wouldn't listen to myself for 60 minutes talk about the Bills. You want to know why? Chris, because there ain't nothing unique I'm going to tell you, man. Go listen to, to Joe B talk on the Bills B. Go listen to Matt and Ryan. They do a great job. Go listen to Cover One. Go listen to the Bruce exclusive. Bruce Nolan's phenomenal. I mean, yes. Buffalo Rumley's is so good. There's just so many great Bills podcasts. You're so right. I want to do something different. Yep. My podcast Talk of Buffalo podcast. This is more like what we're doing today. We're having a conversation. I'm not really interviewing you so much about, well, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? You know what I mean? I, I figured out relatively early that I, you got to do something that not everyone else is doing. Right. Unless if you're going to do something that everyone else is doing, you better be better than everyone else. And I know I'm not. So I don't do that. I have uh, my own lane, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You do a lot of things well. When it comes to the bills, all right, so let's kind of transition. Let's transition into the Bills a little bit. Actually, you know what? Before that, I, I do want to ask you something. It's one thing to be an analyst. It's one thing to to break down some film. All right, this guy did this right or this guy did wrong, and here's why. Let me show you. You know what? And then mm -hmm. people look at it, and they love the information. They 
They they consume all your content. But you're not really, you're not going out on any limb. You're kind of showing people what you're seeing. The draft is a different animal. Because now you're talking about players who you have not, you see them on college film, but you don't have any NFL film, and you're trying to project what they're going to do. So whether you want to or not, you're kind of putting, you have to put yourself out there more when it comes to the draft. Because if you're saying this guy should go here or this guy should go there, or this was a good pick, this was a bad pick, people are going to remember that shit years down the <laughs> road. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that definitely comes with the territory. And my thought, I had a lot of these grand thoughts once I got that CBS sports job and uh, beyond saying, hey, I need to branch out and not just be a writer. My other foundational thought was, if I'm at CBSSports.com, I'm not just going to follow what Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper and Daniel Jeremiah are saying. I have all the respect in the world to all of them. They have advanced the NFL draft vertical immensely in my lifetime. And certainly Mel Kuyper would kind of be the godfather of that. But I, I just was going around the internet and everyone's top 25, everyone's top 32 pretty much look the same, a, maybe a slightly different order. And then you would, and certainly Bills fans know this, a year or two out, oh, Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker, EJ Manuel, everyone thought that they were great. Everyone, they ultimately busted. Like people obviously understand that those busts happen. So I went in and said, I am going to go into this 100% genuine. I'm not saying I'm even as good at, at breaking down film as someone like Eric Turner of Cover One. He knows a lot more about like the schematics and all the terminology more than I do. I mean, I, I've certainly tried to dive into that as far as possible. I, sure. I, I try to cover every angle of the NFL. Um, but I was going to give my genuine opinions of what I thought about Josh Allen and Gregory Rousseau or Mason Rudolph or Lamar Jackson. Uh, and I have since created a grading system to kind of allow to, for me to not have as much personal bias into it where it's kind of spitting out a number for me and it's easier to sort my big board, but I, I don't, I'm not doing ever for clickbait or any, whatever reason, if you see that I love Malik Willis, the Liberty quarterback and no one does or vice versa, it's just because I am literally watching it, trying to distract myself or keep away from all the noise, not be distracted by that. And when you're at cbssports.com, you're reading what I truly think, not like a mixture of all the 10 other big draft analysts. That's kind of what I call them. Not a mixture of all their opinions. Growing up in this area, obviously growing up a Bills fan, being a Bills fan your life, you get into this professionally, is it tough sometimes for you to, to be able to remove that fandom? Because, you know, like when, for an example, you're reviewing a Bills draft and you're a Bills fan, it's your natural tendency to want to like everything that they do. Did you find it? Was it a transition for you? A process to be able to kind of remove that fandom? Because at the end of the day, you're ready for CBS Sports, or even if you're not, regardless of what you're doing, you're doing your own thing, doesn't matter. You got to be objective. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and honestly, I haven't gotten that question a lot, but I, and I'm not sure why, because it, it is so, I think, paramount to ask that. Um, I, I haven't found, especially with the draft, it to be that big of a problem because what's baked into my job, which is certainly a lot of misses, some hits, is that and now that I have a legitimate grading system, Everything's done before the draft. Everyone knew on April 29th, whenever the draft was this year, 
that I did not think the Bills should draft Gregory Rue. So I didn't think he was a first-round caliber talent. So at that point, if I come out and say, oh, I, I love the pick, then that's a clear homer take. When the Bills picked Josh Allen, I thought he had the least chance to be the quarterback that he is today. And I still believe that Josh Allen is an outlier. Like if, if the same statistics, same arm mm-hmm. talent comes into the draft the six exception. more time, those six other guys are not going to become someone that gets MVP votes. So with me, with the draft, you never have to worry about me being a homer or a hater for the bills. Like, I love Devin Singletary. He was my number one running back in the 2019 class. When the Bills picked him in the third round, I gave it like an A+. And I was like, he was my favorite back. So with the draft, it's not really as bad. And honestly, you probably feel the same way because you're like next level fan too. That analyzing uh, just a Bills game, tweeting about it. It's like it's so embedded in my family and certainly in the fabric of all of Western New York that I'm to the point where I'm not like a face painting fan that like I like for the sake of my dad and for all these people that were through that went through the Super Bowls and that have lived here like I want the bills to be good for them and and if they're not I'm going to call them out and say I think that was a bad idea to maybe uh extend John Feliciano or you know they should have allocated money somewhere else I, I I'm not a hey don't say anything negative about my team like that's that's just not how I am and lastly Starting at Bleacher Report, uh, which is where I, I got kind of my beginning to my career. Sure. That site had such a bad reputation because it was called Bleacher Report. And it was, hey, these are fans writing about their favorite teams. You had to fight that so much that I realized, like, my career is not going to advance if I just write everything happy-go-lucky about the Bills. I need to step away, be an objective analyst, and say, the James Hardy pick might not work out. RIP James Hardy, by the way. Trent Edwards uh, checks it down too much. Like if I was always looking for the bright side for the Bills, it's that wouldn't have done any good for my career. So I, I, I hope that anyone listening doesn't view me as a hater or a homer, but someone that really uh, you know tells it like it is, especially when it comes to the draft and anything I put out there when I do get a chance to write about the Bills for CBS or I just decide to tweet about them. It is legit not born and raised in Western New York, Chris. It is CBS Sports analyst Chris giving that opinion. Yeah, and I love that. Here, here's my attitude towards that with me. I am a Bills fan. I am an unapologetic Buffalo Bills fan. If you and I were here in my home studio, and let's just say we were taping a Sunday afternoon, and we went out to the living room and watched the game, and Josh Allen throws a touchdown pass at Diggs, I'm going to get up, fist pump, I'm going to high-five you, I'm going to be really excited about it. When I get behind this microphone, that ends. I'm not a Bills fan. Once this mic, once I turn this Roadcaster Pro on and I get behind this microphone, I'm not a Bills fan anymore. When I do this podcast, I'm not a Bills fan anymore. I call it like I try to call it like I see it. I'm very, just like with the Sabres, it's easy to be, you know, to heap praise on the Bills because they are very good right now. Conversely with the Sabres. They're a goddamn train wreck, okay? They're horrible. It's easy to to criticize them. I'm not afraid to criticize the Bills. I, I've been called a hater at times, especially by my own friends, because, yeah, I will root for the Bills until I get behind this microphone, and then I'm going to give my thoughts based on what I think. 
That's one thing about a lot of these Bills podcasts that I can't stand. If you're going to be a fan podcast, okay, say you're one, acknowledge it, and, that's and then I'm fine with it. But if you're going to be an objective analyst and you're going to sit there and you're going to try to break down all 22 film and you're going to talk about this and that, don't do it as a fan unless you say you're just a fan. Mm -hmm. But don't be a, a journalistic podcast or whatever you want to call it and be a homer about it. You have to be critical. I, so I'm out of, I, I, my fandom stops when this microphone goes on. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. One last thing on this. Uh, I think we've seen two in the last like five to ten years that even some of the big, big, big media people, uh, that it's not like such a... It, it, it's not taboo anymore to like admit like, hey, I, I'm an NFL writer now for ESPN. I grew up as a fan of a team. Like, I think back in the day, maybe when there was more beat reporters, when it was uh, just newspapers, there was like, you can't like Peter King has said that he was born and raised a Giants fan. But like the second he got his Sports Illustrated job, and of course, Peter King is the man that he just was done being a Giants fan. I think people kind of realize now that that's kind of BS. Like, Mina Kimes is out there talking about how big of a Seahawks... Like, she grew up in Seattle. She was a Seahawks fan. Like, mm -hmm. what do you want her to do? Like, my dad has had season tickets at the Ralph since the mid-'70s. Like, I'm not going to say, Dad, I occasionally write about the Bills, so I'm not going to go to the game with you anymore. He's 70 years old. He still loves going. Like, I think people realize, like, hey, there's an analyst here talking behind this mic or writing this article, but they're, they're also people too. Like, let's be real about it. And that's kind of how I kind of finish whenever someone's like, how do you do it? It's like, Hey, like I grew up in Western New York, my family, rabid bills fans. Like it, if, for me to just step away from that and like disown my family on Sundays and that, that's just not realistic. I, I think the majority of, of sports media people, most of which I've been blessed to have these type of conversations with mm -hmm. on this podcast before they, would rather cover a team that's either exceptionally good or exceptionally bad. There's nothing worse mm -hmm. than covering a middling sub 500 team. You know, like when the Bills every year seven during nine. the drought, they're six and ten and seven and nine. That's freaking boring. They're not going to be good. Give me tire fires. Give me those. That's why the Sabers are actually <laughs> as bad as they are. The Sabers are a fun team to cover because there's a lot of stories. Some of the homegrown guys and girls who who cover. The Bills beat. They struggled some to it. Sal Capaccio's a Bills fan. All right, let's just put that out there. Matt Perino is a Bills fan, so let's just put that out there. But to their credit, what it comes down to is, let's say the Bills, they're playing the Chiefs on Sunday night. Let's say the Bills play like shit and they get trounced. Is Sal Capaccio going to get on the air on Monday morning and is he going to criticize Deion Dawkins for getting beat five times you know, on the edge? Or is he going to criticize Josh for throwing two ill-timed interceptions or they're not being a pass rush or, you know, Tremaine Edmonds missing assignments, whatever it may be, I think he will. Mm -hmm. He's not afraid to get on the air and be critical of the team. So if, if long as he's professional about it, then I got no problem with that. Did it with Matt Perino. Yep. Matt, Matt's, Matt works for the mafia. That's his saying. Like he, he's a, he's a fan of Bills fans. Yeah. Not so much the team. That's what I always say. When the Bills lose, and like a lot of my friends say this because like I would have, been the kid growing up that like my dad would have bills parties with all my friends when the bills would lose during the drought or whatever they would all say like oh, i just feel so bad for your dad because my dad was a school psychologist like he's just full-blown bills fan like doesn't want to hear anything negative about them ever which is fine that's kind of how i feel like i 
being an analyst, like it kind of makes you like, okay, this game's over. Now I need to look at it. Uh, what happened? Why did they lose? Not like I'm sad. I'm going to go cry in my room. Like it's different. And, and I guess being in it, you realize it. So like, you know what I'm talking about. And I hope I can, I'm articulating this you well are. enough that, that when it's your job and your like livelihood depends on it, it's a lot easier to like remove yourself when you're recording a podcast or writing an article. Sports media has changed and you have, to, I don't care if you say that it, you don't care if people like you or not, then you're lying or you're naive and stupid because <laughs> it matters. It matters today. Back in the day with the Buffalo news, ooh, Yo, if you didn't like Jerry Sullivan, for an example, okay, what were you going to do about it? Nothing. You were going to read the Buffalo News or you weren't going to read shit of, about the team, you know, or if there was there was two or three TV newscasts. That was it, man. That's all you got. Or you had to listen to WGR. You don't like Paul Hamilton talking about the Sabres on WGR, what he has to say, or Chopin the Bulldog? Well, tough shit, because where else are you going to hear it? And now we're inundated. Now... It matters. Now you can't be an asshole to fans. You you can't ignore them. You have to engage in them yep. because the difference. And I, look, I like Jay Skirsky. Jay Skirsky, I'm, about to, I'm just saying him because he's a current Buffalo Bills beat reporter for the news. Great guy. Good guy. Is friendly to people. Okay. I'm just using him as purely as an example. Back in the day, if you didn't like Jay, again, oh, well, there weren't a lot of outlets. Now today, if you don't like Jay Skirsky and he's being a douchebag to you, guess what? You got tons of alternative yep. options. You got Matt Perino. You got NewYorkUp.com. You got blogs like Buffalo Rumblings. You got Cover One. You don't like the way Vic Carucci's breaking the game? Now guess what? Now I'm going to go listen or I'm going to go watch Chris Trapasso. I'm going to go watch Eric Turner and see what they these guys got to say. Being likable and, or at least engaging with fans. You can't, like there was a time where I think a lot of sports media people, and there still are some, but it's fewer and far between. I know what you're going to say. Where yeah. They stuck their nose up at fans. Yeah, you got to be relatable. You get, you have to be. And I relatable. think like what you just said, like you put it more succinctly. Mina Kimes going on NFL Live and like saying that she was sad when the Seahawks lost, or that she screamed when they drafted DK Metcalf. Like that's relatable to fans. Like she's not hiding it. She still gives great, um, like opinions and analysis about her favorite team. So I, I think what you just said is spot on with sports media today and how it's changed from very few outlets in a city to now a ton covering the same team. Before I let you go, I do want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the Bills. Sure. One of the things you were talking about with the draft earlier was when Josh Allen got drafted, there were a lot of people, myself included, who thought Josh Rosen would have been the better pick. And I was thinking about it as I was watching Monday Night Football. Well, I've thought about it before, so I like it just suddenly popped in my head. But it really... When I was watching Monday Night Football this week. I was watching the Chargers Raiders game on uh well, we're taping this Tuesday. So last night, I'm thinking to myself, how quickly, and again, you're somebody who studies draft prospects. So yeah. I mean, you put a lot of time and effort into this. Obviously, NFL front offices do the same. Their livelihoods are literally on the line if they get it right or wrong. And that line between getting it right or wrong can mean so much. Now, sure, every team has busts. I mean, I don't care how good you are. When it comes to quarterback, the price that you pay for a bust is such, it's significantly richer. Like I go back to 2018 right now and I'm like, man, just imagine had either A, the Denver Broncos didn't trade down and they took Josh Allen where they could be right now. Or if the Bills traded up, but they said, you know what, Josh Rosen, and I heard this a lot, more accurate passer, 
seemed more pro-ready, yep. you know, whereas Josh Allen was more of a project. Just imagine if the Bills had drafted Josh Rosen. Now, system matters. I don't think Josh Allen would be a MVP caliber quarterback had he went to the Jets with the third pick because no. of, of the organization. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when Josh Rosen's bounced around in three or four systems now, then there's something wrong with the player. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So you look at that, like the Bills, and then you look at Miami Dolphins. Just a year ago with that fifth pick, they liked the leadership of Tua, and they passed on Justin Herbert. And then you see Justin Herbert in year two, He's tearing shit up. Yeah. You're like, man, just imagine had the Miami Dolphins pulled the trigger on Justin Herbert. We probably would be getting a decade's worth of Marino versus Kelly-like rivalries. And I mean, sure, for the Bills fan, you're you're happy that Miami sucks. Well, yeah, they do suck right yeah, now, okay? Kind of. And to us, I understand it's a little early to write him off as a complete bust right now. Josh Allen wasn't very good his rookie year. I get all that. But he ain't Justin Herbert. I'm highly confident that he's never going to be as good as Justin Herbert. It yeah. matters, dude. Yeah, the interesting thing about the 2018 draft class is that of those five or six quarterbacks, five went in the first round uh, that year, obviously. Josh Rosen was the consensus guy that everyone liked. I don't know a lot of analysts that had him like number one. But, like, some people didn't like that Baker Mayfield was kind of like a D-bag a little bit. And, like, the system in Oklahoma was really good. Their O-line, the receivers. Obviously, Josh Allen had his detractors, Lamar Jackson. Everyone liked Josh Rosen. Like, it, go back and watch, whether it be Mel Kuyper and clearly a lot of the NFL. Like, Josh Rosen was, like, the safe guy. Pick him. For a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, he's pro-ready. He's accurate. He started for multiple years. He st- began starting as a freshman at UCLA. He was a big recruit. Uh, and it just shows that these GMs and entire scouting staffs have, they spend like, they're like a year ahead. Like they're probably almost done scouting the 2022 class now. They spend all that time on that 2018 draft class and on maybe the 2020 draft class with Tua and Justin Herbert. And, they, and they're super smart football guys, way smarter than I am. And they still get it wrong. It shows that quarterback by far, by about 50 times, is the hardest position, I think, in all of sports to evaluate making that jump from college to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, and the price you pay when you're wrong is so much higher. Cody Ford, the Bills, I mean, it it doesn't look like a good pick right now. No. They could get away, and not just the Bills, most teams could get away with missing on a second-round guard, even if they traded up to get that guard in round two. But you take Josh Rosen over Josh Allen, or you take Tua over Justin Herbert, you're setting your franchise back. This this victory Monday that we seem to be enjoying a hell of a lot of in Buffalo the last couple of years, you're not going to get as many of them if Josh Rosen was the pick instead of Josh Allen. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I think the one thing that we didn't know, because that was Brandon Bean's first draft, and that he's shown over the past like four years since then, He's all about drafting those freaky talents that might be a little bit raw. Like Tremaine Edmonds was 19 when they drafted him, 6'4 and a half, 254. Uh, was clearly raw, like wasn't the best at beating blocks, was a little slow, like recognizing uh, plays in front of him. Josh Allen, of course, the ultimate project. Uh, Greg Rousseau, Spencer Brown, like that's like a philosophy that maybe he formulated during his time in Carolina. No one knew that. He didn't go out and say, this is what I'm going to do. And I think in a lot of other organizations, cities, roster makeups, like that doesn't work. Like most of the time that doesn't work. But 
Brandon Bean trusted having Sean McDermott, a lot of the Carolina guys, the coaching staff, the scouting department, the player development in Buffalo that has gotten the most out of. And honestly, Tredavious White, go go look at his combine. He's not like 6'2", 215. He tested like not really like a first-round pick, and that was the one knock on him, that at LSU he was productive, but like, oh, he's not really that good of an athlete. Like, is he going to... Is he as athletic as Marshawn Lattimore? No. Uh, there was a few other corners in that class that haven't been as good as Tredavious White. They were able to get the most and accentuate the tools of guys like Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds and hopefully for the Bills, Gregory Rousseau. That's what they ultimately want from him. So that's like the one element I think is so fascinating about this philosophy that he had that has really paid off in making the Bills a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Now, when I talked to John Fina a couple months ago, he brought up the point and it's something that I think a lot of us take for granted and don't necessarily think about a guy like Josh Allen with all the successes that he's had. He didn't do it by himself. Mm-mm. It's a system like Josh Allen's mega contract extension. It's not, it wasn't just a Josh Allen victory. It was an organizational victory. Absolutely. And you look at some of the assets that he has, and I'll tell you who's one of them or becoming one of them is a guy that we spent the summer we couldn't get rid of him fast enough, or not necessarily get rid of him. We couldn't upgrade his position fast enough. All summer long, we heard about Zach Ertz, that the Bills were going to trade for him, and Dawson Knox is, he is who he is at this point. Maybe he still is. But I'm going to tell you what, this dude is playing some good football right now. Funny, real quick story. During one of these finer episodes, or finer wing club episodes, I had Perino and, uh, and Gary on when we were at Mulberry. And we're talking about potential red flags. This was right before training camp started. And it was funny because I kind of jokingly looked at Matt and I was whispering to him about Dawson Knox. And the reason why is because Dawson Knox was literally 12 feet away from us. With his, <laughs> I don't know if his girlfriend, his wife, whatever she may be. But he was enjoying a meal with Mulberry with his date that night. And we were kind of whispering like, Dawson Knox, you know, he's kind of a, a red flag right now. You know, I'm not so sure <laughs> about this God. guy. Talk about him a little bit because I don't know, maybe what you're seeing something different. I don't know, but numbers aside, which the numbers are good. He's got like what? How many touchdowns? He's already got four touchdowns already? Four touchdowns this year. Double as many other uh, receivers on the Bills right now. Talk, talk about his play this year. Yeah, so just real quick, he's another example of that raw physical specimen. And mm-hmm. that was my, in the 2019 draft class, that was my least favorite pick that they made because they traded up to get Dawson Knox, right. and he was this other unknown. He was on that Ole Miss team, of course, with DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown. Uh, there was even Van Jefferson at one point. They like never threw him the ball, but he tested really well at the Ole Miss Pro Day. His three-cone was under seven seconds. That's kind of the threshold that you want for any position, uh, and, and he looked like a real physical specimen. They traded up. They rolled the dice, and I think in his first couple of years, you saw him battling through the that uh, early development process. And I think he's playing with a lot more confidence. And what he did show at Ole Miss, the limited time that he caught the football, and I, if I remember correctly, he didn't catch a touchdown at Ole Miss. Not that, one. Yeah, but, uh, that he was very good after the catch because he's a very thickly built. Uh, almost like a, a tall running back has good contact balance. Like that's what he showed, even catching passes underneath. He's done that very well this season, and I think 
the mental aspect of just catching those easy passes that he dropped a lot of in his first two seasons. We haven't seen that yet. And as your confidence builds, I think it's the same as a field goal kicker, as a punter, even a quarterback, that once you start making some of those easy throws, your confidence builds, all of a sudden you're not missing those kicks or you're not missing those open receivers. Dawson Knox feels like he's a lot more confident, and it's a whole new element to this Bills offense that they're so deep in the pass-catching group that Gabriel Davis has, like, what, few catches on the season. And I every, love him too. And everyone saw how good he was in the preseason with Dawson Knox and obviously the, the top three wide receivers. The Bills have so many weapons to have that extra tight end who's good after the catch that can turn a five-yard drag route into a 15-yard gain. That's huge for this offense. I'll tell you, I'm almost embarrassed to say this now, but all throughout camp, I actually thought Jacob Hollister was going to beat him out. Me too. And become the starter. He ends up getting cut and, uh, yeah, Dawson Knox, five catches, 39 yards, two touchdowns on Sunday. It's already up to 15 catches for 144 yards. Considering he's like, what, the fourth or fifth option yep. on the team. I mean, to be on pace for 60 catches, he's uh, he's he's playing very well. I did mention Cody Ford earlier. Mm -hmm. Were you surprised coming off that win against Washington and John Feliciano not playing that Cody Ford still got benched? I wasn't because watching the film, it was almost getting progressively worse in pass protection from Cody Ford. So if I can see it, I mean, you know, they have to see it on film, you know, at one Bills Live. Like the the um, offensive line coach, which is completely his name is Bobby, Bobby, Johnson? Bobby Johnson. I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking someone else. I was thinking Eric Washington, but that's a D-line coach uh, that they have to be seeing that, too. And I think to face the Houston Texans, that was kind of a, if you're going to try to reshuffle the line before you face the Chiefs and the Titans on the road in primetime, that's probably the game to do it. Uh, and maybe it was that wake-up call that that hopefully the Bills can spark a little bit of that in him, that he was this big, really physical, kind of raw player that was in this spread-happy offense at Oklahoma, didn't have to pass protect in that traditional way very often. He's the, he's the one out of those four or five that I've mentioned of these early Brandon Bean draft picks that hasn't really materialized. It's still somewhat early in his career and in, in, into year three, and he has been injured. But I wasn't super surprised because it was the Houston Texans. They drafted Spencer Brown. They loved Darrell Williams. That was the game to give those uh, players some reps at new positions. Yeah, I would say for perspective on how bad the Bills must think that Cody Ford's played this year, you take a guy like Darrell Williams, who has played guard before, but last year he's a right tackle for the Bills. And he played well enough that he was a high, I would consider him and Matt Milano maybe 1A, 1B, offseason priority to re-sign. Mm -hmm. They gave him three years, $24 million, like $14 million almost guaranteed to be the right tackle. They go out, they draft a rookie, and not a month into the regular season, they're sliding that guy in the guard, and they're playing a rookie at, at right tackle. Spencer Brown, who, by the way, one game, and again, you would know this better than me. I'm not going to say the guy's going to become a, a stud pro ball player. It's way too early to see that. But he doesn't look overwhelmed by any no. of this to me. Spencer Brown has all pro upside, and I truly believe that. I, I I think I had him graded like in the fifth round, but he was kind of that mysterious dude in that he was at Northern Iowa. He didn't play last year, and then he tested like a first-round pick. Like he, he his pro day workout. Maybe it was juiced a little bit by the Northern Iowa uh, coaching staff. His combine or his pro day was ridiculous. He's like 6'9", 3'10". He could add 10 to 20 pounds to 30 pounds to his frame. 
and be this behemoth at right tackle um, that can pass protect, and he's a really good run blocker. I agree. I, I haven't actually, believe it or not, wa- rewatched the game yet, but watching it live, I was paying attention to that right side. And Daryl Williams does look feel a little awkward at guard. Spencer Brown, there were definitely some reps where he got beat in pass protection, but if you go back and watch the film, they ran the football to the right side of that line a lot in that game. Spencer Brown and Daryl Williams together were really getting after it and moving people on that Houston defensive line. Well, I'll tell you what, Daryl Williams, whatever was wrong, he better get it right by Sunday. Yeah. Because Chris Jones just eats the Bills He's a alive. Monster. So that's something to be concerned about. Lots of things that we could talk about. But again, I'm going to kind of just gloss over them. Yeah, the receivers have been fine. They've, they've been what we've expected them to be. This ain't the kind of podcast to get into a Cole Beasley off-field conversation. Yeah. We're just going to ignore that entirely. The running backs are fine. They're good. They're they're they they're good. I mean, what else can you say? They're not elite. They're not bad. They both do different things. They have they're going to run the hot hand. I think you you agree with that this year. Whoever is feeling it that game is probably going to be who it is. I personally am more of a Zach Moss guy right now than Devin. I I still feel like they have some trust issues. It's just something with Devin Singletary, and he did fumble again on Sunday. Mm-hmm. There's just something that I I think that this organization they just don't trust him. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, like it he makes he makes a mistake, and it's like, all right, let's get him out of there. It makes sense because they drafted a running back in the third round the year after they drafted Devin Singletary. Right. So, and he had a good rookie season. I truly think, though, that yeah, you'd maybe want to have like a home run hitter that could take, you know, that could have five carries for a hundred yards and have a sixty yard run in there. I think though Moss and Singletary are the perfect backs to have in this offense. Yeah. That the run blocking is, I think, better. That it's better this year than it was last year. But we'll see when they play a little bit better defenses how good the run blocking is. With how elusive both of those running backs are in tight spaces, and the contact balance that Singletary has, and the power that Moss has, like they're gonna get. If you block well enough for it to be a four yard run, they'll get you five or six yards. Yeah. And if it's blocked really well, they could get you 20, 30 yards. And I mean, I guess Singletary had the 46 yarder against the Dolphins. It was it was like the parting of the Red Sea on you that could play. Have, you could have ran that. Yeah, but I, I think for an offense that is pass-centric, uh, they want to throw the ball on first downs. They want to throw the ball in those neutral score situations but uh, when it's between one score on either side. You just need two like decent backs, rotate them every series or play the hot hand, and that's what the Bills have with Singletary and Moss. We spent a lot of time talking about the offense. The Bills are three and one, and they're ranked this week actually in ESPN power rankings number one in the NFL right now because of the defense. Yeah, they're great. All right, let's just get that out there. They're a very all right. They're I don't want let's great might be a little premature because of who they played. Mm-hmm. They are definitely a good defense though. Here's the question I, I do want to ask you: What should and again these are young guys that I know you've studied extensively, especially when they're in college. What should the expectations be for two players on his defense? Tremaine Edmonds and Ed Oliver. This is probably where I get into the most arguments with people on Twitter. To me, you're in Ed Oliver's case, he's a top 10 pick. Tremaine Edmonds, they traded up for, and he's a top 20 pick. These guys have been pretty good. Like I thought Tremaine Edmonds personally, my take is this. I thought he was really, really good against Houston. I thought he was good in pass coverage against Washington. And then I thought it was pretty lousy the first two games. I think Ed Oliver's been okay. I know he had a couple nice splash plays against Houston. He looked good, but not consistently great. 
shouldn't these guys, the expectation, shouldn't the bar be higher? I feel like fans, especially with Tremaine Edmonds, well, actually equally, both of them, they're, I feel like the standard of excellence should be higher and fans are just accepting them being all right. Like go, go online and criticize that Oliver and watch how quick fans jump on you. Or you could see stuff in the stats. I watch the games. Where's the impact? Where's the impact plays? Now Tremaine had an interception on Sunday. Again, an impact play. He lacks making impact plays. Mm. I remember Preston Brown. I know you remember Preston Brown. Dude had 150 goddamn tackles. <laughs> they were all eight yards, nine yards on the field. Never had a fumble recovery, a, a forced fumble, an interception, a sack. None of that shit. Who cares about tackles? I don't care about that stat. What's your expectation? How should these guys be right now? No, that's a really good question. I think there is an element to Edmonds and Oliver that what they do on the field doesn't show up in the stats. But also to your point, Ed Oliver was the ninth overall pick. Edmonds, they traded up for. He was the sixth, 16th overall pick. You don't draft those guys just to do things that don't show up in the stat sheet. Like you draft Ed Oliver to be, I think in today's NFL, like an eight to 10 sack guy. Like there's defensive tackles that are getting double digit sacks. And Oliver's done okay. I think he's had over 30 pressures in his first two seasons. Um, But you need to see more of those being converted to sacks. He's very quick. I don't think he's added pass rushing moves. And that was the one thing that I why I did not say he was going to be the next Aaron Donald. He, similar body type, almost tested as well as Aaron Donald, which is really saying something. Like, he is a legitimate, like, one of the top, probably five most athletic defensive tackles in the league. The pass rushing moves were never really there at Houston. He was just so much more athletic than everyone else. Aaron Donald, like, was winning with athleticism and pass rushing moves at Pittsburgh. And Ed Oliver hasn't really, I don't know if he's not working on them, he can't deploy them in games, they're not effective. So, yeah, I think at this point, with this being a Super Bowl caliber team, he was a first-round pick. Uh, It's now year three. The Bills should be like, yeah, we should be getting more out of you. And it's kind of the same deal with Tremaine Edmonds. And I think we saw it last year when Matt Milano was out, Edmonds kind of seemed lost. And that was the book on him. I remember scouting him. I had a late first round grade on him that physicality through the roof. You can't teach 6'5", 250 with that suddenness and the ability to change directions. And yeah, he erases throws down the middle of the field because he's so big. Uh, but he's always like a split second late diagnosing what's happening. We always hear about processing speed with quarterbacks. There's processing speed with every position on the field. How quickly are you reading that pulling guard or you're reading that it's, oh, it's play action. I got to get back. Milano is always like a step ahead of him. And Milano's athletic, but Edmonds in terms of straight line speed and just sheer athleticism is the more impressive guy. Milano makes more plays because he, whether he's watching more film or just how they are, Milano plays faster because of how quickly he recognizes. So for both of those players, I don't think they're, they should be caught or the Bills should have no interest in re-signing them. But yeah, they need to play better this season, I think, for the Bills to win the Super Bowl. When it comes to this team right now, I want to make sure I say this right. I think the Bills are one of the best teams in the NFL. Me too. I think to some degree they're a fraudulent 3-1 team. And I only what I mean, all right, let me rephrase that. They've played shitty teams right now, okay? I think the Bills, you could take any four teams in the NFL and I think the Bills are very capable of going 3-1 and one against any four teams That's a good that they lined it. up against. But they haven't played anybody. If there's one thing that I am worried about, besides the fact that we haven't played anybody, is defensively, so far through the first couple games, if not the entire team, certainly on defense, to me, Matt Milano's been the best player on this defense. He has. Maybe the whole team. And 
right behind him, especially on the at least defensively, I love what Teron Johnson is bringing to this team. Here's the problem, though. We're, what, four games in? Matt Milano's already got an hamstring. It's midweek. Uh, Sean McDermott says he's day-to-day. We, maybe he'll play Sunday. Who knows? Will he be 100%? Probably not. I don't know. Teron Johnson's got a groin issue. Did not play against Houston. Now, if they were playing New England or Kansas City, does he play? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. the fact that they were playing Houston kind of factored into let's sit him a week, you know. But my point is this. These guys are extremely talented. They're playmakers, and they are playmakers. Unlike Tremaine Edmonds, who's a decent play. He ain't no playmaker. Ed Oliver ain't no playmaker. I'm sorry, but he's not. They do things well, okay? Teron Johnson's a playmaker. Matt Milano's a playmaker. These guys can't stay on the field, though. That's my problem. Or my worry, I should say. They're hurt a lot. Teron Johnson, is his physicality is through the roof. He's a playmaker, but he gets hurt a lot, man. Matt Milano, we saw what happened last year. The defense took a, a, a dip when he was out, and he's already banged up. We're only a quarter through the season, man. Yeah, no, that's uh, a very justifiable concern to have at this point because those guys have a history uh, of maybe not having season-ending injuries, but but injuries that can last two, three, four, five, six weeks, and that sure. can be the difference between hosting a playoff game, getting the one seed, getting the two seed, yep. whatever it may be. So, but I never really with injuries. It's like you never know when they could happen. They could happen a bunch. They might not happen at all. Uh, so I think. My biggest concern is the guard play. Like that, looking at the Bills, I truly think that they are the most well-rounded team in the NFL. The one weak spot, though, is the guard position. There, I mean, they did get the little kind of practice game against the Texans. They've shuffled the line. Ike, Ike Butker was in there um, at left guard. But that's a, a spot where it's like, oh, that position is really in flux right now. Like the Bills don't really know what they have. They can't rely really on anyone in a big game against a Chris Jones or against the Jeffrey Simmons, who they'll see the next week on the Titans, that they're going to probably have an advantageous situation. Every other spot on the field, and that, of course, means with Taron Johnson healthy and Milano healthy. Sure. Linebacker, safety, corner, uh, O-line for the or the other O-line positions, the D-line super deep, of course the receivers, Josh Allen, the running backs, they're really, really good. So we have kind of different feelings on that. I, I'm just not going to factor too much into the injury front because – there's just no way of knowing how these are going to play out. Right, and I'll tell you, it's a fair point to, to wonder. The Bills, they, they get they just got it wrong this offseason. If they got it wrong with one thing, they resigned Feliciano. He didn't even test free agency. No. They they got to him before, so they wanted him back. And uh, by not taking, well, so in the draft, they went Greg Rizzo first. They came back with a defensive end again in round two, which I understand, not so much for this year. That's more about the future. Mm-hmm. And then they went, Tackle, tackle with the next two picks, which again, Deion Dawkins is a well-paid left tackle, and they re-signed Darrell Williams as a right tackle. And then they go tackle, tackle. My point was, they pretty much said, I think between Feliciano, and that was, to me, that was an endorsement for Cody Ford because they didn't do anything really, to, and they re-signed or, or restricted free agent Ike Bakker, who was here last year when the, the, the interior line was suspect last year. You know, so... If there's one area where you kind of wonder, like, what's Brandon Bean thinking this offseason? You hit the nail on the head. It's guard. Yeah, I think that they were just so uh, prioritizing continuity. And I think that's more so than any of, like, the changing in the play of anyone. The defense has so much continuity. Like, they have so many of these guys. 
have been in Sean McDermott's defense for three or four years now for what Micah Hyde and, and Jordan Poyer. It's been since 2017. Like that's what I think the bills are going for on their offensive line. Like, Hey, Feliciano is maybe a like replacement level guard, maybe a little better, but if we get all the same group together, that will help everyone play better. And Feliciano gets hurt. Cody Ford hasn't taken that step. I think they're they're not getting the dividends from that continuity that they're getting on the defensive side. Last thing that I'll let you go, Chris, here. Again, late in the Tuesday night now, my home studio here in West Seneca. Um, so bottom line is this the Bills defense has been phenomenal, but again, let's keep things in perspective here. They've run over three backup quarterbacks, all right? Jacoby Brissett, Taylor Heineke, and uh, and Davis Mills, all right. Not world beaters. Let's just put that mildly. Patrick Mahomes is going to be on the field on Sunday. A Kansas City Chiefs team that has looked pretty, uh, not very good so far this year, especially on defense. But, so you got Bills, injury concerns with Johnson, Jordan Poyer, Milano. The fact that the Bills, probably their two, not probably, their two worst games last year were both the games against the Chiefs. The Bills, if they do have an issue, and you just spoke of it, and I agree, if there is an issue with the Bills right now, it is that guard position, that interior line position. Not much more so because he's played pretty well this yes. year. But Chris Jones eats the Bills up, and it's not a good – this is not a good matchup. That's what I'm getting at. What do the Bills need to do here on Sunday to for the outcome to be different than what it's been the last handful of times they've played? Yeah, instead of giving the stock answer, what I'll say is uh, that I've watched a fair amount of Chiefs film early this season. I'm doing like a young quarterback grades article every week. And a few of these young quarterbacks have played the Chiefs, like Jalen Hurts on Sunday. Chris Jones is playing a lot of defensive end. Like, that's how thin the Chiefs are along their defensive line, that he should be playing, you know, nose tackle or three technique. They have him playing edge rusher. He's still getting pressure because he's such a good player. So the Bills might slightly dodge a bullet there um, in that he won't be matched up with the weakest link of their offensive line as often. I still think the Chiefs will give him those good situations. Say, they'll find, they'll yeah, get him in they'll there. find him. But the edge rusher position and really the entire defense in Kansas City has looked really porous. The secondary uh, is not very good. The linebackers are slow. I think that could be... Cole Beasley or Dawson Knox or the running backs out of the backfield could exploit that. And the second part is, it's not going to sound like I, I'm, and I'm not really someone that likes to blame the refs, but in that AFC title game, and it came out afterward in the Super Bowl, that in the AFC title game, the Chiefs corners were very physical with the Bills receivers. And I, I forgot what wide receiver it was, but in the Super Bowl, when the Buccaneers were kind of going up and down the field scoring points, Two or three receivers were tweeting like, "Oh, they weren't like they were not calling all of these pass interferences when the Bills played the Chiefs." And now that you know, I don't know if it was a Tom Brady factor that people like to buy into. Brady was getting a couple of legal holds down the field on Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. If either the refs call it kind of tight for the Bills and say, "Hey, like we're not going to let." Whoever, I mean, and their cornerback room is pretty shallow at this point. They're former first-round busts out there and a few other bottom-of-the-roster guys. If they're going to let the, them hold Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley and be a little more physical, it might be a similar game to the AFC title where Josh Allen's looking around, no one's open. If they call it a little bit closer, then I think we'll see some of those flags move the chains, and that just buys a lot of confidence for the Bills. So Chris Jones on the edge, and watch the corners and what happens. And 
I know you can't really see the corners from the broadcast angle, uh, that, that how much they let the corners get away with. Because I think the corners are going to have to try to hold Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley because they can get open on almost every play. How, how critical is this game? Because at the end of the day, look, I think the Bills are going to win the AFC East. I think they can lose this week, and I think they can also lose against Tennessee. At the end of the day, I still think they're going to win their division and host a playoff game because they'll win their division. Mm-hmm. But psychologically, if they go out on Sunday and they play another shit game, like, quite frankly, again, they definitely did during the regular season last year. The championship game, they played a little bit better, but they still didn't do nearly enough to win that game. They go out and they lay another egg on Sunday and prime time again. How does that not linger psychologically that, hey, we just can't beat this team? It definitely would linger. Uh, and then to think about what the next step would be. Okay, the Bills win the AFC East, they get a home game, they win the home game, uh, they win the next game, and then what do they do? Go to Arrowhead again for another AFC title game? Like, I mean, obviously that's not guaranteed to happen, sure. but but that could happen. What I'm more looking for from a grand perspective is how Josh Allen and how Sean McDermott uh, perform, because I thought Sean McDermott coached probably his worst game in the AFC title Yep. Game with those uh, kicking the field goal inside the 10-yard line twice, uh, that we saw Josh Allen early in his NFL career look like someone that didn't belong in the NFL. Then he got a little better. His first playoff game started well in that in that first half against the Texans. Was kind of sugar high Josh Allen. was it, it was like that situation was too big for him. Against the Colts, he played a, a good defense last year. His, his second playoff game played a lot better, made some clutch throws. That touchdown to Stephon Diggs in the fourth quarter was perfectly placed. So he kind of righted the ship after that first uh, like impression. of. And then last year, first AFC title game, biggest game of his life, didn't necessarily play the best game. I want to see how him and Sean McDermott say, okay, it's not the AFC title game, but this is a gigantic game for us. We can get, like, what, a three-game lead on the Chiefs, technically, uh, for that potential number one seed in the AFC. How do they perform uh, in that second go-around in this big game? Yeah, I'll tell you, man. It's uh, Optimistically, I, I look at the Bills, and I think of the Chicago Bulls when they had to get over the hump to beat the Detroit Pistons. Similar. Not saying Josh Allen's Michael Jordan, although LeBron James is tweeting about you know, he's the GOAT today, and he was tweeting about Josh, which was uh, pretty cool. But it's going to be a fun game. This was a fun episode. Again, a complete cluster. It started out at Macy's Place Pizzeria in Chictawag on Genesee Road and ended up here in my little home studio way back in West Seneca. Not not Macy's fault, by the way. Pat Moran's fault here. Chris Trapasso. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Chris Trapasso. Do great stuff with CBS, man. Love your TikTok. This was a lot of fun. Glad to meet you in person, yeah. finally, and you be able too. to sit down and, and shoot the shit with you, man. This was a really good time. I really appreciate you, buddy. Thanks for having me, Pat.